Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's Innovation Insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome to Dig In. This is actually a new segment for us uh, on the Dig In, talking about industry news. So, so today, we're going to be chatting about news in the industry, examining how the industry is changing or predicted to change based on some of the latest developments. And today, I'm joined by Mike Stevens, who's the Managing Director of What's Next Planning and Strategy and founder of Insights Platform, which is a directory and knowledge hub for user research, consumer insight, and data analytics software and solutions. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. And um, thanks for validating my decision to, to buy the domain name for the, the company that everybody calls my website, which is, uh, it's not actually Insights Platform, but now that I own that domain, I think I might just rebrand it. It's, uh, it is currently Insight Platforms, but everybody gets that wrong. But don't oh. worry. You're, in, you're in great company. Yeah, I threw an extra S and took out an extra S. I apologize. Yeah. Well, good thing you bought that domain so that no one no one can be confused anymore. Yeah, no, I'm going to buy them all, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, Mike, I wanted to have you join me today. Uh, one, you have a great network across the entire industry and also a great perspective on how the industry is rapidly changing, especially with some of these uh, the exposure to these platforms that you get to see on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and some of the latest announcements, you know, what that means for the future of the insights industry. But before we jump into some of the specific headlines, and there's some good ones, and, you know, tell me just kind of your overall sentiment right now about the insights industry. What are you seeing, hearing, feeling about the in- industry as a whole? Uh, do you know, I, like I love change. Right? I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm comfortable with the whole ambiguity, and I, you know, stuff sits still for very long. I'm, uh, you know, I start to get a bit itchy. So the fact that everything is changing right now, I'm, I'm kind of cool with that, and it's also it's sort of useful for people like me who, you know, who are writing about, about what's changing. So there's just so much going on. And I think when we talk about the insights industry, it's like, well, what, what is that? What does that mean? You know, you've got all of this stuff happening in analytics and UX and customer experience, and then you've got all of the market research stuff. So like for me, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited by all of the innovation. There's just, there's startups coming out of the woodwork everywhere. We've just added another like 200 entries to the directory on, on insight platforms. You know, it's um, it's a very fertile environment. So I, I like that. I think it's quite exciting. Uh, uh, no, how, and, and just for context, you added another 200. How many are actually on that uh, platform now? Uh, that I mean, that makes it about 1,100, something like that. So yeah, over, over 1,000. Yeah. Over 1,000 different platforms that are already on your directory. Yeah, I mean, right. that just shows how crazy the, the and how fast the industry is moving into a a much more tech focused, but also just expanding the whole meaning of kind of what market research is in the consumer yeah. insights to your point. Um, let me get this right out of, the, out of the way right now. Your camera looks a way better than my camera. I am like super <laughs> cool right now. Uh, in part, it's just a sunny day. It's a sunny day and my camera wants to appreciate how, how the sun came out today. So That's good. Uh, just FYI. Well, it's raining right. in London. It gives you a kind of happy glow. So, you know, we like that. <laughs> All right, let's chat a bit about, uh, you know, one, one thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Forsta. So yeah. the new name for the amalgamated companies of Focus, Vision, and Confirmant, Forsta, meaning to understand in Norwegian. To me, this, this merger almost parallels, the, you know, what happened a few years ago with the creation of uh, Dynata through Research Now and SSI. 
Yeah, what's your take on this new Forsta company? And you know, how do you think this merger of the really two large survey companies is going to impact the industry? Yeah, I mean, you know, great, uh, great brand name to start with. Uh, you know, good, uh, good that it's got meaning in Norwegian. I didn't actually know. I thought it was one of those manufactured terms that's kind of got that, you know, forward, you know, fortitude, that those kind of like connotations without it really meaning anything. So I'm, I'm glad you've uh, you've set me straight that it's actually a meaningful Norwegian word. Um, you know, one of the one of the, and I, I, I'm not going to be rude about it because I do actually know the consultants who were involved in helping to, you know, to identify the brand name. So I'm not going to say anything rude other than um, it, there's a danger that when you're talking about it, it sounds like you're talking about Forrester, doesn't it? You know, uh, the, yeah. the, the, like yeah. the publication business. But um, anyway, I think strategically, uh, I mean, smart move, I think it needed for both of them, because I think the risk is that they were both going to be, you know, second tier players in their respective categories and just not at the right level of um, bulk to be able to compete. If you look across the CX space where Confirmit really wants to be one of the leaders, you know, you've got Medallia, you've got Qualtrics, you've got InMoment really be, you know, beneath that, then you've just got dozens and dozens of other second tier players and Confirmit doesn't want to be there. They want to be, you know, at that, at that top table. And on the focus vision side of things, um, you know, I think it, it looked over the last few years like there was a, you know, there's a need for some investment, I think, in some of those products. They've done a good job in putting together some disparate solutions, but it still looks like a lot of separate, uh, you know, you look across Revelation, across the focus vision, across Decipher surveys, across the, the Qual tools it kind of feels like a, a stable of acquisitions more than an integrated suite of products. Yeah. And you need a lot of, you know, you need a lot of investment if you're going to compete at the top end of the market. Weird thing is it's very cheap to get going. You know, you can, you can start up with next to nothing using no code and you can get a, a product out there. But once you've got scale and you've got global reach, you've got to keep investing at a very high level and I think this is what it brings to both of these organizations is, you know, is, is bulk. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, so back to your Forrester, I feel like somebody with a British accent, yes, that makes more sense, you know, Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> I just enunciate the R's, that's all. So it's not, it's not well, look at, for me. Forrester, yeah, you, know, you, you could have a bit of uh, Nordic heritage, is that? Uh, no? I look that way, I, I am part Viking for sure. <laughs> Uh, you know, th my, my perception on this was, you know, confirm it for a long time, you know, had been losing markets. I don't even know if any of this is true. This is, again, more of my perception. Yeah. Decipher came in, was a lot cheaper. Companies were taken on Decipher. Confirm it was losing market share. It got to a point where really there was just, you know, there's nowhere for confirm it to really go except to acquire and make a big acquisition. And it wasn't really an acquisition. It was a merger of the two companies. I think that show you how big uh, of a loss confirm it had sustained over the years for them to yeah. just, you know, I kind of accept almost defeat at the hands of focus vision and say okay let's just make you know two things better uh forsta as the new way forward and see if we can come up with something better i i, I to your point i mean look i feel like how easy was it for decipher to kind of come in uh, with, uh you know focus vision to come up with their decipher product and and take over that market share is that kind of like you know could the next you know focus vision decipher just kind of pop up fairly easily yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the barriers to innovation are, are very low. So it's very quick to get started. And, 
you know, if you've got the right product, you know, can it go viral? Can you launch on something like a, a product hunt? Can you get enough people going? You know, there are, there are ways to generate early adoption and usage and drive that um, initial user base that didn't exist a few years ago. If you look on, you know, tech distribution platforms like AppSumo, where, you know, you can, you can get amazingly high functioning technology at launch for next to nothing because companies are so desperate to get users on board, get early, you know, recommendation, get the data back from real life use cases. So I think that, yes, somebody could pop up out of nowhere. And I think it's the perennial, um, you know, sleepless night for a technology CEO is that some kid in a bedroom in a garage somewhere is just going to create the next whatever category killer. And, you know, it's true that it, it could happen from any angle. And I think that's what, that's what makes the technology end of this industry, you know, exciting and uh, terrifying for a lot of people. Well, yeah, and, and speaking about technology and, and somewhat of, of you know terrifying, you see larger companies now really getting into not just the Focus Vision and Confirm It deal, not just the IPOs with Qualtrics and Scent, but now you're starting to see larger players like Kantar uh, make some significant acquisitions. So let's talk, let's jump into that, talk, uh, the acquisition of Kantar recently with the purchase of Numerator for one and a half billion dollars. Yep. Uh, yep. Help us, you know, help us understand Numerator. What, you know, why... What did they do? Why is it such of a, an interest or value to Kantar with, uh, with what Numerator has and can offer? Yeah, you know, in some ways, this is about, uh, you know, plugging a geographic gap for Kantar World Panel because you know, Numerator, again, has, you know, has come about through merger over a couple of years from the, uh, I forget what the, the previous entities were that were put together. Yeah, uh, InfoScout and InfoScout, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the largest kind of shopper consumer panel in North America, you've got, you know, half a million people scanning receipts daily, you've got it omnichannel. So it's across, uh, you know, e-commerce purchases as well as in store. And it's a phenomenal proposition, actually, if you look at it from a, a technology and data connection, what you've got is the ability to, to track, to drill down, to go to, you know, very, very small categories, very small retail outlets, and figure out what's going on, what's happening. Some astonishing level of um, you know, total purchase journeys are captured on that panel in the, in the US. So you've got great depth, but what it, what it also has is increasingly some of the kind of behavioral data that is appended, not just the purchase data, but on-device behavioral data. You've got the ability to go back to people and drill down, and you can go and build lookalike models for online advertising campaigns. So you can go and look very, very niche categories, build out your lookalike profiles, import them to your DMP, and then you've got kind of very well insights and, and campaign uh, planning tools that are right at your fingertips. So for me, this is, this is a real intersection of behavioral data, feedback data, you know, it's kind of analytics and, and survey stuff all in one place, very powerful. But does that and, and does that I mean that I, mean, and I was talking to somebody recently who was uh, describing some of the data that they would get uh, or that they could have access to through the InfoScout uh, versus Nielsen. And, you know, where they could get something within like days, whereas Nielsen, you could get you know information within like you know weeks or months. And so, you know, they are looking at that. But, you know, does it is from from your perspective, like, you know, what's Kantar? What do you think they're doing? Why? What are they doing? Are they realizing that they now need to get a lot more into that space that, you know, you mentioned a geographic gap, but do they 
Do they need to focus? Are they focusing more on data? Are they, you know, becoming this, you know, more of a data company? Uh, like everyone else uh, is trying to do it in this space? Yeah. I think what, what's, if you zoom out from this industry a little bit and you look and say, well, what are the fundamental building blocks of value across the insight space? And there's, there's three layers. I don't really want to talk about it as layers because it implies they're separate. They're, they're sort of overlapping circles. So you've got data, you've got technology, and you've got services. On the, you know, on the data side of things, We've got you know, panel data, we've got survey panels for ad hoc projects, we've got behavioral, you know, all of that is now being combined into one place. What we've got is on the technology side of things, increasing automation, you've got you know, DIY platforms being used in-house, you've got end-to-end -end automation for, for agencies delivering that. And on the services side of things, we've got this kind of squeezing of, of the, um, let's say the middle piece, which was for, for a long time, a lot of agency workflows have been about collecting data, moving it from one place to another, reporting on it in a way that, you know, is descriptive rather than adding value. So those three things are all in transformation for Kantar. So you've got the kind of data collection side of things. One of the highest margin, the highest margin parts of that business are the world panel business and the Kantar profiles division, which is the old light speed business. So data is you know is, is a good margin business the transformation piece is shifting from the legacy services of ad hoc research which is very low margin i don't need to <laughs> tell that to people the traditional ad hoc research can be very low margin and operationalizing that into marketplace which is the surveys automation tool so putting things like link tests the um, the concept testing all of that into a platform which is at the moment it is turbocharging the service delivery by making it more efficient. In the future, that will be a full SaaS play where people, customers, clients have it on their desktop. The services transformation is the really interesting bit because on top of that, what you have is a positioning around premium advisory. So the Kantar Consulting and the data analytics, which is you know, source agnostic, don't care if it's survey data or purchase data or you know, panel behavior or passive data, you have that as a much more premiumizable layer on top of the data and the technology. So, you know, I think Kantar is a very interesting model. I, you know, I was there, I worked for them for, for sort of five or six years, about a decade ago. I, you know, I like the strategy. I'm not sure that it's the most, um, you know, it's the easiest time to be in the middle of it as it, you know, where you've got, you're trying to kind of turn that oil tanker and inevitably there's a, you know, there's pain in some of the changes that take place, but I think strategically makes a lot of sense what they're doing. Well, you know, let's and let's talk about some of those changes and that transformation uh, with them. You know, just recently, Alex Nassard, who was the Cantar CEO, stepped down. Uh, you know, he'd only been there for four months. Um, Cantar said, you know, he decided to step down after a period of discussion with the board. Uh, you know, concluding that the the nature of the Cantar role is not the long-term fit that he and the board had anticipated. Um, but, you know, reading between the lines, you know, do you feel that Cantor maybe has a leadership issue that it's potentially still recovering from ever since Eric Salama left the company? Uh, look, I, you know, I, I worked with um, Eric when I was there. I, I looked after some of the UK business and the, and the global uh, account for the Vodafone business, so the, the telecoms one. Eric was always very closely involved in the key accounts and in people like Ford and Unilever. 
and he took a very hands-on approach. And I uh, personally, I really enjoyed working with him. I thought he was a good leader through a you know quite a difficult time bringing in the TNS business. The way that he exited post the Bain Capital investment, I think, was um, shameful. I don't think that was an appropriate way for somebody who had built the business and led it and had a lot of you know, senior management allegiance. I don't think he should have been um, you know, turfed out in such an aggressive way. So you know, for me, it's a little bit of schadenfreude uh, you know, that the replacement hasn't turned out. I don't want to say, you know, um, let's say I don't want to talk about uh, gossip in the industry, but what I will say is um, let's, let's talk not? about some of the things that Eric Salama wouldn't have done. Uh, you know, I don't think when I was there or when anybody else was working with him that, uh, you know, he would have been regarded as a sort of separate, highly corporate um, uh, let's, <laughs> you know, don't knock on my office door type individual. He's not the sort of person who would have sent um, emails with an enormous picture of himself emblazoned at the top of it. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't have made a one line reference to a, a long time and well loved senior management member who left the business to say he'll be leaving the business on the same day that he was leaving the business. So let's, you know, let's just say those are some of the things that Eric would not have done. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, we can leave it talking about things that he wouldn't have done. <laughs> it's just some examples. It's some examples. Yeah, I, think, exactly. I think, you know, in, in, in you know, it's good. It's hard to find. Uh, it's hard to find leaders that can, you know, lead big companies like that. Uh, but, you know, even as uh, I'm sure there's lots of complexities to me, it just seems like, you know, no one's really, you know, captaining that ship. And I feel like, you know, who knows how long that'll last and what the uh, what the impacts. Going yeah, to be. I mean, you know, I never met the, you know, Alexis Nazar. I don't really know much about him. You know, P&G, Heineken, uh, you know, shoe company, um, you know, is that there's no reason why it couldn't be a, a you know a good fit for that proposition if somebody's got a good a good strategic marketing leadership um outlook it hasn't you know it hasn't worked out i think it's it is a challenging role to fill because there is uh you know this this whole transformation journey you know you need to be flexible and you know the fact that for somebody as notoriously ruthless as martin sorrel kept eric for you know, kept him in position for 15 years of, you know, object from the outside looked like quite poor margin performance across the group. But that was constant, you know, change and pockets of very good performance and, you know, bits that you couldn't really just cut off that were dragging it down. So I think it's there's a lot of subtlety in leading an organization like that, that, you know, you, you can't just come in and um, assume that you can kind of impose cookie cutter models from a, you know, a traditional marketing management background. So you're telling me I should start deleting the really big photos I send over the top of my email. <laughs> I get it. Uh, all right, Mike, given the activity that we're seeing, uh, you know, again, some of these really, really big deals, you know, I you know, can't help but, you know, a, a company like ours, obviously quite a bit smaller, um, you know, looking around, seeing this activity, we're investing heavily in technology and analytics. But, you know, from your perspective, with all this activity, all this transformation happening, what do smaller firms need to really consider to be, you know, even remain relevant and competitive uh, yeah. as we go through this change? Yeah. Uh, just get the hell out of the middle. Okay. Like the middle is the dead zone. And the, the middle is that piece of the value chain that is, um, you know, it's not 
premium value. It's not high-end consultancy. It's not the stuff that you can really charge for on strategic brand advice, on innovation, you know, the things that actually command a premium on a day rate basis and, and it's expertise based. The bottom end is all about, you know, what you're doing, investing in automation. It's all about volume. It's all about efficiency. It's making sure that, you know, you've got the right kind of, you know, user interface, you've got the right kind of integrations. The middle is that piece that is the legacy of, um, you know, we're, we're doing things with people when really it should be automated. And we've got a lot, you know, we've got staff who are neither at the premium advisory end, nor are they, um, you know, really contributing to that kind of efficiency play through the technology. So, you know, so for me, there's a, there's this sort of, um, dumbbell shape, you know, hourglass shape at the industry where you've got value coming up for the premium positioning. And then you've got volume going through the kind of automated solutions like, your, you know, your upsides, your zappies, that middle part, the legacy is very vulnerable. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of companies are, are uh, you know, most, even if majority of their business is still probably in that middle and they're realizing that, that they're getting squeezed. We've seen the squeeze for a number of, of years, I think, uh, but we're seeing it once again, uh, increased technology, greater client expectations on what that technology can do based on the other players that are available. And to your point, you know, unless you can charge premiums for the consulting, uh, you need to have those internal efficiencies. Okay, last question I have for you, uh, again, because you, you, know, you talked at the beginning about even just adding another 200 pl uh, platforms onto your, your uh, uh, database. Um, you know, what are the biggest opportunities that you're seeing right now with ResTech platforms that we should be aware of? You know, there's some, there's some really interesting stuff happening, um, you know, sort of slightly off, the, off to the side. If you're, if you're focused mostly on market research technology, by which, you know, we're talking about survey-related stuff and qualitative, you know, uh, online qual, those platforms. If you look kind of left and right of that, you've got this amazing... Um, you know, energy in UX research. You've got a huge number of startups that are happening there. You've got some methodologies that are coming in that should be transferring. You've got different ways of working. You've got, you know, the UX teams are either, uh, that UX teams are either, um, you know, in-house or independent freelance. It's a very different kind of industry structure than you'd see in market research. And, there, you know, there's some really great, tools and technologies there for remote user testing, for you know, integrating feedback with, with analytics. I think to the other side, you've got a lot of the um, kind of product analytics driven solutions by which I mean things that are analyzing how users are interacting and behaving in websites, in you know, apps, and allying that with feedback data. So there's a platform called UserLeap which slightly ambitiously claims to be the world's first continuous research platform, um, but it is combining quite deep analytics or let's say lots of event-driven data from within a technology uh, platform. So if you're on an e-commerce site, you've got all of your, you know, which products have you looked at, how long have you spent, all of that. And it will pop up with micro surveys that are very specific based on the user profile, the part in the journey and capture open-ended data that's then analyzed using natural language processing and put together with the hard metrics on the analytics side of things. And those opportunities, I think there's some really interesting stuff that's happening 
that's not necessarily aimed at traditional buyers of research services or, or research agencies. It's being bought by product managers, by um, analytics teams. They don't know much about research. I think there's a huge opportunity for people who know about research and market research to advise, to coach, to kind of help build those solutions. So, you know, that to me, I think the stuff that's happening, you know, you'd think of it, if you're looking at it through a market research lens, you think it's happening at the peripheries. Obviously, you know, it's not, if you're in those industries, it's your core, but there's a lot of, a lot of creativity happening around product development there. Yeah, it seems like everything is just data, data, data. You know, how can I use data? How can I leverage data, collect data, interpret data and deliver data? Mike, thanks so much for joining me. I mean, there's so much activity in the industry right now happening. I mean, news constantly is coming out uh, across the board. So I'm sure we'll have another session where we can talk about another development. Maybe, who knows, another uh, another Kantar CEO that uh, got hired and, and then... <laughs> we'll see. If we've, uh, we've got a new one that lasts until the next time we speak. So. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, sir. Right. Take care. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye, Paul. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.